Amen. Be seated. Wow. Good morning. I'm really grateful that you're here today and uh, want to especially extend a welcome to our guests. If uh, you're visiting this morning, we're grateful that you're here with us. I want to just mention two, uh, two things really quickly and then um, just share something that's not in my notes that I wasn't planning to share, but um, that I was struck by as we were worshiping together. The first thing I want to mention is last Sunday, uh, we prayed, or invited our deacons and ministry leaders up here and prayed over them. If you were out of town and missed that, uh, there's an insert in your bulletin this morning with the, the names of those people and the areas that they will be working with, and we want you to be aware of that. That'll be in the bulletin in the next couple of weeks as we try to uh, roll out more of, uh, of what we talked about back in March on Vision Sunday. Uh, if you happen to park in the big parking lot over here, you saw that uh, another phase of our vision uh, started this last week as the, the uh, outside began to be painted, and so it's exciting to see some of those things coming together and want you to be aware of the fact that all those are connected to what we talked about back in March. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that this section up here is empty, as is obvious to all of us. Uh, our students, uh, some of our students left this morning to go to Camp Bandina. Uh, I want to invite you to be praying for them this week. Uh, back in the foyer, there are some bracelets. There's three left, thank you. Uh, Chris does this every time uh, he takes a group of students out of town, creates a bracelet. You don't have to wear the bracelet, but the, the real goal is to get us to be praying for the people who are gone on these trips. And so uh, Chris creates those and asks individuals within our family to take those names and to be praying, commit to praying for one of those people throughout the week. You can pray for the whole group, but specifically uh, for someone by name, if you want to do that, there's an opportunity to do that at the welcome, uh, the connections booth there in the, in the foyer. The other thing that I, that I was struck with as I was listening to Steve talk about things that are normal and singing and worshiping together with you all this morning, uh, I was struck by the idea of family. Um, when, when Nathan and Courtney Fears started coming to this church and uh, they had Danny, their oldest daughter, they had sat, they were sitting in front of us and I made it my goal to become friends with Danny. And, but she was not having it at all whenever we f they first started. She was not interested. And this morning during communion, she turned around over her shoulder and our eyes met and she winked at me. <coughs> and I have winked at her week after week after week for years. And I thought, that's a win. And I thought, that's, what a beautiful picture of family, right? That, that, uh, that this, these two generations can interact and have a relationship like that. And then I thought, as I saw the kids coming to bring their money, I thought, as much as Cody Patton hates to be up front doing communion, I would have loved to know Lindsay as a younger person because their boys like to be on stage. So who knows? <laughs> who knows what future? But that's normal, too, and that's a part of what it is to be a family, and that's a great, a great thing. So uh, I hope that we see those things as we, as we gather each and every week. Uh, today we are in our third week of a series that we're doing this summer. Uh, looking at minor characters in the Bible and talking about how their stories point to our major God. And I, I can't think of a better song to have sung right before we, we launch into this study this morning together. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1. I want to encourage you to find a Bible and, and look there uh, as we'll be reading some together. Um, and before we, before we look at Exodus 1, uh, I want to invite you to, uh, to pray with me as we start this morning. 
Father, our prayer this morning is, as we've just already really prayed in the song that we sang, that uh, the measure of our lives uh, be the, the love of Christ, and that that be the standard by which we are judged um, and that, that the world looks at us and knows that we are pursuing with all of our hearts lives that reflect and that send out and give away as much of the love of Christ as possible. And I pray this morning, God, as we, as we think about um, the next two minor characters in your story that we'll hear what you want us to hear and you will see what you want us to see, that our hearts will be soft enough and open enough to the message that you have for all of us this morning, um, that I'll be out of the way and that the words that need to stick and sink down into our hearts will do so and those that need to fall away will fall away. Uh, I pray, God, that you'll help us as we open your word to, to behold our King who is seated securely on his throne. And that we will see, even in what we do in the study of your word, as uh, a part of our worship that we just participated in, really an extension of that, a continuation of that. We're grateful, Father, for your love for us that is normal, that is pursuing, that is reg a regular part of who we are. And that I pray that as we've gathered this morning, that if anyone here has forgotten that, that they are already feeling some reassurance and knowing that you are good and you are faithful to them. Uh, we're grateful for that promise, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we're in Exodus chapter 1, but we have to start really back in Genesis. And the, the, the book of Genesis uh, ends in the death of a guy named Joseph, who some of you may have heard of before. Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, is in Egypt. When we turn into Exodus chapter 1, and they're, they're in Egypt because years before, Joseph had been uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. He rose to power uh, in Egypt, and he became influential in Pharaoh's kingdom. And eventually, Joseph dies. And so when we turn the page to the story of Exodus, we find that way back from whenever all that happened in Joseph's life in the book of Genesis, Joseph's family is still in Egypt, but things are changing. We know they're going to change. The first clue that they're going to change, which we're not going to talk about this morning, but the first clue that we know something's going to change is in the title of the book, right? That means exit, a mass exit. So something is about to, to shift in this story. Joseph's family is a growing family, and at this point, Exodus chapter 1 tells us that a new Pharaoh in Egypt has risen to power. power. So before, Joseph was in a close relationship with this Pharaoh. When that Pharaoh died, and Exodus 1 said, after that Pharaoh died, a new Pharaoh rose to power who didn't know Joseph and didn't care about Joseph. And so he said to his people in Exodus chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, the Israelites, this is the first slide, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us, this Pharaoh says. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies Fight against us, and they'll leave the country. So what does this new Pharaoh do? He's, he's growing concerned that this Israelite people are growing in number, and he's figuring he has to do something about it, but what is he going to do? We're going to pick up reading the story right after these verses in verse 11, Exodus chapter 1, beginning 
in verse 11. So this new Pharaoh, it says so that they put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as cities, store cities for Pharaoh. Verse 12. But the more that they, the Israelites, were oppressed, the more that they multiplied and spread. So that the Egyptians actually came to dread the Israelites. And they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So stop right there for just a minute. While Pharaoh has the upper hand, he sees this group of Israelites growing, but while he has the upper hand, he thinks to himself, well, I know how I control this situation. I'll force them into slavery. The, The Israelites are like a bad rash that just won't go away everything he does they keep growing everything that they he does to to suppress and to control and to manage them nothing is they're multiplying they're growing and he is getting concerned the more that they they're oppressed the more that they multiply and spread the israelites become so large that the, the it says that the egyptians actually start to fear them they make brick they make them make bricks work in their fields build cities And that's when our story this morning begins and our minor characters that we're going to look at today are introduced into the story. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. The king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. One of the great lines in Scripture. So God was kind to the midwives, and and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile River, but let every girl live. Our story is only seven verses long, but this moment is really significant. Pharaoh is so irritated with the Israelites and how, they are, how large they are becoming that he initially decides to make them slaves. And when that doesn't work, Pharaoh decides to go to these two Israelite midwives named Shipra and Pua. I want us to say Shipra and Pua together, and I'll tell you why in just a second. So ready? On the count of three, we're going to say Shipra and Pua. Ready? One, two, three. Shipra and Pua. Now, it's important, I think, that we say their names because history would like for us to forget people like Shipra and Pua. But I want us to remember women like this, who we're going to talk about at length here for the next few minutes, but who were incredibly strong and who... I believe, are among the people that we need to think about when we think about heroes in the story of the Bible, in our story. And so Pharaoh goes to Shipra and Pua and tells them to kill all the baby boys, but they, they say, I mean, they, they don't outright say, but they, they, they decide they're not going to do it. Pharaoh wrongly believed 
that his power as ruler over Egypt would convince these, in his mind, insignificant women to follow his command and do what they were told to do. So this new king of Egypt comes to them and asks after he realizes that the, the babies aren't dying and says, why, why aren't you killing these baby boys? And they make up this story. Like, well, Hebrew women, they're just, they just, you know, babies are just coming out before we arrive. We don't know what to do. What's, what's more, I think, than even the, the, this outlandish story that they create is that, that, you know, what's more odd or crazy than that is that Pharaoh buys their story, which may say something about him and his level of intelligence because, you know, that, that it just really doesn't add up. So clearly something's not adding up. And so Pharaoh buys the story and God blesses them with families of their own as a result of the, their faith. But this, notice, still isn't enough for Pharaoh. He will not be stopped until this situation is under control and these baby boys are dead. People in power do crazy things to stay on top. And he is concerned at this point in the story about being on top or someone replacing him. And you hear that in the text. What, what are we going to do, right? What, what are we going to do if, if war breaks out? He says in verse 10. And what they're going to do is they're going to join our enemies, and then what? They're going to fight against us and leave the country. No, we need to keep everything the way that it is. We need to keep it all under control. And so he decides to give this order. Throw every Israelite Hebrew, same, same in case you're confused about all those words, the same, same thing, Hebrew-Israelite baby boy into the Nile River. Kill the baby boys and you stop the reproduction cycle, right? wrong. This, this human leader has a short-sighted vision. This pharaoh, let's just call it what it is, in our modern day language, he commits an act of genocide. The innocent slaughter of people, ripping them from their families, tossing them into the Nile River, and in the midst of this act of genocide, Shipra and Pua defy this ruler. One of the things that I think is interesting about this, these women is that in their brave, faithful action, the problem wasn't solved. Now, did you notice that? No matter what happened, Pharaoh was always, everything, you know, they're growing in number, we should make them slaves. Well, that didn't work. We should try to have these Hebrew midwives kill them right, on the deliver, right in the delivery room. Well, that didn't work. Well, you know what? I'm taking matters into my own hands. Throw them all into the river. Their action was a temporary fix for a really big problem. I mean, they save as many baby boys as they can, but when Pharaoh eventually wises up and realizes there aren't any baby boys dying like I gave the command for them to die, he creates a new plan. Toss the baby boys in the Nile. But while their faithful actions solved only an immediate threat and did not fix the long-term problem, what I want us to hear is this, they were faithful anyway. They did what they believed was right, even when the thing that they were doing through their actions wasn't going to change Pharaoh. It wasn't going to change who, who he was as a leader. He was still this tyrannical ruler that had little to no regard for the Israelite people. He was still a fearful leader that made his decisions, it seems, based on his insecurity of 
what are we going to do if these people become so numerous and I'm not on top anymore and I'm not in control? And no amount of baby-saving action on the part of Shipra and Pua was going to change that. But what they could do, what they could control, was their response to the Pharaoh. And so they do. They control what they can control, and they choose to be faithful, which is the first thing, church, that I want us to notice and learn from these two women. And that is this, that our response should always be to be faithful. To be faithful to God, to be faithful to your family, to be faithful to your spouse, to be faithful at home, to be faithful on the job, to be faithful in your relationships, to be faithful even when you can't solve the bigger problem, whatever it is out there in your life. To be faithful even when you feel like, I'm trying, God, to be faithful, but my efforts feel like they're in vain. Shipra and Pua can relate. Be faithful when your life is in danger, which theirs certainly could have been. Be faithful when your future is unknown. And I know some of you this morning are facing an unknown future. Be faithful when there appear to be threats on every side. Be faithful. That is our job as followers of Jesus, to be faithful. Just be faithful. No matter what, be faithful. Do what you believe is in line with the heart and the character of God and let God handle the rest. Too often we try to change the circumstances around us which we cannot control and we neglect as we try to change the circumstances or control the circumstances around us. We neglect to change ourselves, the one person we can control. Right? You, you can't control him or her or them. And Shipra and Pua knew they couldn't control Pharaoh. This guy had an incredible amount of power. He is the leader of the world superpower of this day. And here they are, two Israelite women delivering babies. Too often we try to change the circumstances around us which we cannot control. And we neglect to change ourselves which is the one person that we can do something about. You can be faithful. You can be constant. You can be steadfast. Their decision did not solve the entire problem. But I do want us to notice that what, what did happen, and we're not going to go into Exodus 2 and beyond. You can go and do some reading for yourself if you're interested in the story but what they did, their decision didn't solve the entire problem, but what it did was pave the way for the exodus of Israel out of Egypt, freedom from slavery, because Moses was one of those babies that survived. When you keep reading Exodus chapter 2, you see that while there were baby boys dying because they're being tossed in the Nile River at Pharaoh's command, you also see that uh, the eventual leader of Israel, Moses, would be saved by his family. Which is a reminder, right, that in their decision, in our decision to be faithful, we don't always know what the other side will look like. But in this and every case, God is still making a way. God is still making a way that we may not ever see. We don't know how long these women last, how long their lives go on after this story, but we know that their action, their choice to be faithful, allowed God to continue to make away. Shipra and Pua could not, I don't think, could not have possibly known that God was still going to make a way as they're choosing to make what we would see as maybe a small 
maybe even insignificant decision to defy this leader. They could have not possibly known that God would still make a way when they saw that their efforts to save these babies were being undone by the Pharaoh who is now having them tossed into the Nile River. But they controlled what they were able to control themselves, and they were faithful to the end, and God made a way. Now, now someone might question, maybe you question, yeah, Doug, but, I mean, they lied, right? So what do we do about that? I mean, you know, here we are telling our kids and our grandkids, if you're a teacher, you're telling your students, don't lie, be honest, right? What do we do about the fact that they made up a story? Well, here's the way I see it. The way I see what they did is, in this situation, it's not the same as just lying to get yourself out of trouble without some maybe bigger thing that's going on. They, in this situation, their trust of God was greater than their fear of human authority. I think of what they did as something like a person choosing to hide a Jew from Hitler in their home during World War II and then lying about it. Right? In, in a moment of decision, they did the hard thing because they knew God and they knew God's character and they knew God was going to be okay with saving people because God's in the saving people business. They recognize that God cares about people and that that was never going to be a debate or never going to be a question that God will always care about people. And so, because of their choice to trust God and their, their trust of God being greater than their fear of human authority, we know their names. And I don't know if you noticed it, but Pharaoh is not mentioned by name. Pharaoh wasn't his name. That's like calling him, you know, king or president. That's, that's just the title they gave to the top guy in Egypt. We never learned this Pharaoh's name, but we know Shipra and Pua. Two named slaves oppose a nameless king, and I love that. God blesses them for their efforts because they had the courage to stand for what was right in the midst of immense pressure. Maybe it was a mild deception, you might say, but Shipra and Pua's mild deception was done for the sake of life, for the sake of justice. It was done in the name of protecting the defenseless, so God honors their decision. And so the application, I think, for us this morning is how are we practicing midwifery, which is how you actually say the word. I've been excited to say that word all week. How, do we, how are we practicing midwifery? How are we practicing standing in this place in life where there are opposing things on each side and we have to make a choice? Will we do the thing that's hard to help keep moving the story forward, maybe even risking our reputation, certainly, if, if, it, if it's required, risking our lives? Will we choose to be faithful in the midst of pressure? Now, I want to say that I have been a little nervous about what I want to say next all week long because we live in a time when any time the preacher in any church, not just this one, brings up anything that even sniffs remotely of politics, we say things like, stay out of the politics, preacher. You know, that isn't your lane to drive in. Stay in your lane. Preach the word. And yet, when I read the Bible and stories like this, church, I can't help but notice the way that Scripture always has something, always has something to say to the world that we live in. We can't, if we cannot read this story and see the politically defiant action that these two women took in saving these Israelite babies, 
then I don't think we're just trying that hard. We're not trying that hard to see it. At the same time, if you're a Christian, then you take your cues about how to live, breathe, love, serve, give of yourself, your time, your resources. You, you take all those cues from Jesus alone, which means it isn't a political issue. It's a biblical, it's a Jesus, Jesus issue. This story about Shipra and Pua is a reminder that the government is going to make decisions that they think are best. And Christians have always existed in the world with human governments overseeing them. And Jesus was really, really bold when he started coming to, he came to earth and he started using language like the kingdom of God. And that's not a phrase that, that you know, sets off our alarms in 2019, but in the first century, that phrase for people would have been like, wait a second, what kingdom is he talking? I mean, we're in the kingdom of Rome. We're, 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 we're not sure what kingdom you're talking about. But this story is a reminder even, even that, that, that even then, God's people are existing under a larger human government. And they're having to figure out, how do we navigate this? What does it look like? Sometimes maybe human governments are favorable towards Christians, and sometimes they're not. Certainly this case in Exodus 1 is a time when they were not. But the story about Shipra and Pua is a reminder that the government is going to make decisions that they think are best, and that they should. That is to be understood. That is to be expected. And I'm not really surprised, quite honestly. I'm not for it, but I'm not surprised that Pharaoh decided to kill the baby boys. I think he's a terrible leader. I think that he led out of fear and not love. But I'm not surprised because he did what human leaders tend to do, what they've always done. And some of you may or may not agree with me on this, and that is fine. It's my opinion. But I think there are modern-day versions of the Exodus 1 story happening all around us. They're happening locally, as we know people who need help, who are struggling in a variety of ways, and we have to make a decision, will we help them or not? That one feels easier. We know that there are Exodus 1 stories globally. We see our children participate in one of those every single week as they come and they give money to help rescue children from slavery because we know as followers of Jesus, somebody, goes, somebody might say, well, how is that like actually mission work? How is that evangelistic? Because it's in line with the heart of God and God's character because we believe that God is not, God is opposed to slavery, right? So we, we give money, we encourage our kids to give money. And here's the thing, that, that our kids are living a Shipra and Pua story. Because what, what we all know that they may not know yet is that their amount, no, no amount of money that they give will probably solve the problem of having 7,000 children in slavery on Lake Volta in Ghana. But they, we are teach, modeling for them, encouraging them to be faithful, even if the problem isn't solved in their lifetime. That they're contributing to the greater thing that is going on because it's a kingdom, it's a kingdom priority. And, they, and we believe, and they're teaching them that it's in line with the heart of God and the character of God. And so there's things that happen locally that we're, we participate in through the, through the center and helping feed people who are hungry, even though we, may, we know that there may never be an end to hunger in Kaufman County. We're, we're in the process of 
getting ready to renovate a Hope Center space so that we can house people who are in transition in their lives, even though we know we may never solve the problem of homelessness or people being in, in situations where they're in need of help. We may never solve that problem in our lifetimes, but we're doing something about it because we want to be like Shipra and Pua. And I, and I think n- nationally, the, the example that I thought about is, is what's going on on the Texas border and the whole immigration conversation. And I want you to hear me say, I believe we need borders. Someone will hear me say this and say, well, Doug said we don't need borders. I didn't say that. I believe borders are important. They play a role. I believe we need immigration reform. But what I wonder is this. This is where it's not political. It's not a, this is nothing I've said is political. What I wonder is whether we can set that conversation aside and where we, whether, whether we can have a conversation about it later and maybe even let the politicians figure that out and then vote when there are opportunities to vote and let your voice hurt, be heard. And in the meantime, what I wonder is if we can figure out a way to practice our skills as spiritual midwives and help save some babies and kids that are helplessly being dragged into the whole thing. And I keep thinking about Matthew 25, and I would invite you, encourage you to turn to it if you're not familiar with what I'm going to read. Because as I think about this passage, I think it it is a reminder. All week long, I kept thinking about Shipra and Pua and Matthew 25, and I was like, no, God, I don't want to talk about Matthew 25. And God was like, yeah, you got to talk about Matthew 25. And all week long, I kept thinking about how their story points us to Jesus. And so I want to read beginning in Matthew 25, verse 31, where Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations, remember, you hear that? All the nations will be gathered before Him because He's king over everybody. And He will separate people one from another as shepherds separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the king will come and will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, Jesus, will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then Jesus will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you, clothed, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And Jesus will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And what I want us to hear in those words from Jesus is that sometimes the person that you see hungry or in need may be your friend, your spouse, your child or grandchild. And Jesus' word to us in that situation is that we love them. We give them food and shelter and clothing. And that seems a little bit easier, doesn't it? 
but some, because sometimes the person that you see hungry or naked or whose life is on the line is an Israelite baby boy in Exodus 1. And in those stories, when we can kind of keep our distance from it, if I'm honest with you, this is more confessional. In Exodus 1, I can go, man, Shipra and Pua, y'all are awesome. I'm so glad you did that. Way to go. Because that's removed from me. Like, I'm not, I'm not having to do anything about it, right? They did. They were faithful, and I'm proud of them. Sometimes the person you see in need is an Israelite baby boy in Exodus chapter 1. And sometimes being faithful means, being do, means doing the hard thing that no one else is doing. But sometimes the person that you see hungry or naked or helpless isn't just an Israelite baby boy in Exodus 1. Sometimes it's people in Kaufman County. And sometimes it's people on our border, and sometimes it's people around the world, and sometimes it's our next-door neighbor who is lonely, who's a widow, who needs to be visited, and sometimes it's people that sit in a county jail like a mile from our church building that I've never visited. And I can see Jesus telling us as we talk to him, and we're like, well, we debated it. We discussed it. We gave our opinions, but we were kind of waiting for like the politicians to pass some reform before we did anything about it. <laughs> and Jesus was like, yeah, but you debated it, but what did you do? What did you actually do? Because while they were debating it, in the places where we would expect human governments to debate it, the kingdom that I came to build was inviting you to do something about it because people always matter to Jesus. And so my word for us this morning is not just to be faithful, but as I've been thinking about like, what would it look like to apply this, here's what I want. I want to be found faithful. Like when Jesus shows up, which could be any moment, I want him to look me in the eye and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the only thing that matters to me. Let the measure of our lives be the saving work of Christ. We all sang together a few minutes ago. Nothing else matters. We, we behold you seated on your throne. I want to be found faithful. And there are so many massive, massive local and global problems that I or you will never be able to solve with our action, which is part of why I love this story. It's okay because God doesn't ask us to solve the problem. God asks us to be faithful. And what I'm doing here with you is more of a conversation as I'm trying to wrestle out loud with this in front of you. Because like Shipra and Pua, I simultaneously feel this desire to want to be faithful and not having all the answers to all of the massive local and global problems on planet Earth. But not having all the answers, church, is not a reason to not take care of Jesus when we see Jesus in need. This short, seven-verse-long story is a reminder to all of us that we can do hard things. When we were baptized, we were equipped with a power that is greater than any power known to man ever called the Holy Spirit that enables us and empowers us to, in, to do hard things. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. You were made to do what is hard, which makes Matthew 25, quite honestly, seem less intimidating. It makes me feel like we can do it because now we have eyes to see what we didn't see before. Our decisions aren't about politics. This is about trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. About trying to not only be faithful in the small moments, but being found faithful when Jesus 
returns, the very essence of the idea of faithfulness is something that is done over a long period of time, that you choose it over and over and over and over and over again. And maybe when you choose to be faithful, nothing happens. Maybe when you choose to be faithful, you don't change your spouse. Maybe when you choose to be faithful, you don't change the situation at work or at home or with your family. Maybe when you choose to be faithful, the person is still unwilling to forgive you. Maybe. Those are all options, possibilities. But what we know that is certain, that is not a maybe, is that we can be faithful. Always we can be faithful. Understanding what we understand about God and about God's character, we make decisions about our lives based upon that. And my prayer is, may it be so with us, so that when Jesus comes back and he looks us in the eye, he says to us what I'm sure he'll say to Shipra and Pua. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we are a part of this kingdom that you came to establish on earth. And all of us are trying to figure out how, do we, how we live with all the things that we see going on in our world. And I'm so grateful for stories like this where these women made a really hard decision. Where they were able to, to stand there and recognize that their trust of you was greater than their fear of anybody else. Or anything else that might come their way. And God, this morning, I know some in this room are, are just trying to be faithful in a small thing in their individual story, their life, because they're not sure what tomorrow's going to look like with work or home or health, with kids, with all the things that come at us every single day, our finances. We just feel bombarded so often. So, so often we feel like we're, we're, we're underwater. We can't, even, we can't even think about how to manage our own lives long enough to think about any global problems. And so I just pray for, for everyone in that situation today who feels overwhelmed by life today, God, that you will encourage them to know that they can do hard things because of the Holy Spirit that is at, at work in them. That they have been empowered and equipped and enabled by your presence that is at work in their lives to be faithful. Even when they don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, what the outcome is going to be, how it's all going to work out, that they can be faithful. And I pray, God, this morning for those who are thinking about all of these local and national and global things, and we think, man, what do we do? How do we, how, do we, you know, how do we do anything to help? It feels like just a drop in the bucket. I pray that you'll give us courage, give us wisdom and eyes to see how we can engage in real problems, even if we know in our lifetime those problems may never get solved, that we'll choose to be faithful so that not only will we fa- we'll be faithful once, but that we'll be, our lives will be known for the faithfulness that we embodied and embraced and lived out day after day after day. So that when you come back, you'll, you'll find us to be people who are still here, full of faith, trusting you, that you're going to find a way to work it all out, even if we don't see the end. We're grateful that you are in charge, that you are seated securely on your throne, and we adore you today as we've sung already this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, our all-powerful and almighty ruler and king and the church said amen if you would stand with me this morning we want to provide an opportunity to respond and pray it may be this morning church that some of you are feeling uh you're struggling because you're thinking i don't know i am having i'm having a hard time finding faith 
and having, uh, making a decision to be faithful, please don't leave here this morning without finding somebody to pray with you and encourage you and remind you that you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and that you can do hard things today, tomorrow, next week. Uh, it may be that you want to, to respond to God in some other way. I want to encourage you to do that. This time we use every single week is not about coming forward or recognizing something. We, we're trying to change the culture of this time after the sermon to where we recognize it's not about somebody coming to confess their sins. When I grew up, you waited for people to come on the front row, and you're like, well, I wonder what they did. They walked down to the front, and they're going to confess something. No, this is, a, this is about a resp- all of us responding to God. All of us need to respond to God today some way. This is what this time is about, this next song. So whether you do that privately or you grab somebody around you, let's do that as we sing this song together. God sent his son. They called him.